I once got sent to the principal's office for calling a teacher a name. I was the PA announcer for my high school baseball team. Uh, you know, I would be the guy that'd be like, up at the plate now for the Mustangs, number 12, third baseman, Wes Melton. Shout out to my boy, Wes. Uh, and uh, so that's what, what I did. There would usually be somebody else keeping score. And one of the jobs of the PA announcer was to play music in between innings while the teams were switching and the pitchers were throwing a few warm-up pitches. And this was old school now. This was old school. This was before, like, all the streaming and all that deal. You literally took the microphone, turned it on, and put it on a tape recorder and pushed play. I had, like, a baseball mix tape. You know what I'm talking about? like a baseball, it was awesome. And there was one sister of one of the players uh, at the game, and she happened to be a teacher at our school. And every inning, she just kept saying, the music's too loud, turn down the music. On and on. And this gal that I grew up with that was keeping the score, we, you know, I made several catty comments to her about this teacher and just rolled my eyes every time. She did it and every time she said it. But after about four or five innings of these constant complaints, I looked at my friend <clears throat> and I thought about how am I going to share this with you because I don't feel like I should say this word from stage. And, <clears throat> and I don't think I should put it on screen, but I've kind of got it visually for you. I said, gosh, she is such a... Um, Now, just so you know, the first part rhymed with what? <laughs> I don't know where your mind is. But here's the thing. After I did this, I heard everybody in the crowd. This, we're like, the, the press box is like two stories up. I heard everybody in the crowd go, ooh. Because the mic was still on. Now, I just want to confess to you, because we're in church and all, that it is only by the grace of God that the mic being on caught that name, because I called her several other names throughout the day of which I, that were much worse and of which I am very ashamed. <clears throat> but my words got me in trouble and got me a spot in the principal's office the next morning. And I wondered if you'd ask that teacher about that 17-year-old kid in that moment. I wonder what she would have thought about him. I wonder if she would have said that kid is spiritually mature. I wonder if she would have said that kid was a follower of Jesus because he would have said he was. I wonder if she would have said that that kid was even a Christian because he certainly would have claimed that he was. Words matter. Words matter. And you know it because you have felt the impact of words. You've been on both sides of words that have hurt. You've been in relationships in which words caused the riff, the break that ended the relationship. Words matter. They linger. They last. They have a memory they can wound, and they can heal. And we're going to see by the time that we're done today how Jesus' brother James says that words don't just matter. They're not just important. He's going to say this, that words 
determine direction. By the end of our time today, we're going to see that words determine the direction of our lives, our futures, where our families go, where our relationships go, where our careers go. Words determine direction. Now, this series is called Hardball because James says some hard things, and this is a hard thing that he says, and it's something that every single one of us struggle with. Now, before you say, like, I don't know that words are, I mean, they're important, but I don't know that they're that important. Before you just kind of, like, dismiss what James says, and before, you know, you're maybe just sitting there saying, I can't believe my preacher called a teacher a name. Could you just have a moment of honesty? Could you just have a moment of honesty for yourself and think about your moments? You've probably said some things you regret. You said some things you shouldn't have. You spoke... uh, in haste, in anger, you talked out of emotion, you've probably felt the brunt of it too, you've been on the other side of it as well. And and the thing about words is that we have the capacity to remember them for a long time. You probably have an experience, you probably have a job, you probably have a relationship that was forever altered, not because of what someone did, but simply because of what someone said. Words matter, and words determine direction. I think one of the reasons that words are so important is that they are one of the unique things that that marks us as being made in the image of God. I mean, we share a lot of similarities with most other mammals, right? But there's something unique about humans. We have a language. We talk, we communicate, and we reason, and we interpret those words. That tells me that there is something about God that is linguistic. It is communication. We use the book that we read. We call it what? The Word. When we feel God move in our lives, we say that God spoke to us. When Jesus came to earth, the apostle John wrote it as the word became flesh. There is something about our unique identity as humans made in the image of God that is linked to language, that is linked to words. Now, and the the other thing that's so interesting about this for me is James's unique perspective on this. James was the half-brother of Jesus, grew up in the home of Jesus. He was Jesus' family. And nobody knows how you really speak like your family, right? I mean, you can be very professional to clients. At work, you can be very professional, right? At the, you know, you answer the phone at work, you're like, such and such company, how may I help you today? Right? Your teenager calls you and you're like, What? Right? <laughs> right? I mean, we, everybody knows, like, we, it's church, too. We know how to speak at church. Good morning. Good to see you. Yes. Praise the Lord. Good to be in the God's house today. Yes. And, like, 15 minutes ago, you were like, if you aren't in this car in three minutes, I'm going to commit a felony. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Good to see you this morning. <laughs> right? 
Nobody knows you, how you really talk like your family. And James saw the real Jesus, not the Jesus at work, not the Jesus that was healing and teaching and doing miracles. He saw the teenage Jesus. He saw the tired Jesus. He saw the hungry Jesus. He saw the frustrated Jesus. And I think James saw something different in the way Jesus talked to the family than everybody else in the family. I think he probably saw some differences in the way that he responded when he was frustrated and when he was tired or when he was angry than the way Jesus talked. He had a front row seat to the way that our words, the way we talk, the way that our language is supposed to sound by hearing his brother speak. So this section that we're going to read in James chapter 3 has like five or six metaphors. It's really great, and it starts out, if you're not a church person or it's been a long time since you've been in church or you're not sure about church or you're not sure about God, the cool thing is this is so easy to relate to that he really doesn't start off with any kind of deep churchy words or theological concepts. These are just kind of everyday metaphors with which none of us can really disagree. So we're going to pick it up in James. James chapter 3, verse 3, and this is what James writes. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now this, nobody could say, like, I disagree with that. Like, you don't, there's nothing to disagree with, right? It's sort of, if you know anything about horses, this is sort of a scientific fact. This is the way that you train horses, that you direct horses. So that's metaphor number one. Then he goes, and he's got a second metaphor in the next verse. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Again, you can't really disagree with this, but this is something that anyone and everyone can relate to. You, you know, you can't disagree with the, the bit and the horses. You can't disagree with the rudder and the ship. He's just sort of stating some facts, but there's a theme here. Do you get the theme? Small things directing big things. A small rudder that directs a ship. A small bit that directs a horse. And he goes into the next one, and he relates it to this small thing that is part of all of us. And he has one more metaphor. <clears throat> Likewise. In other words, just like a rudder on a ship, just like a bit in the mouth of a horse, likewise, the tongue. It's like a rudder, it's like a bit. It's a small part of the body. But it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. In other words, James is kind of saying, nothing will get you in trouble like your tongue. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Could you just, whoa. It can set the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself on fire by hell. Tell us how you really feel, James. That's heavy. That's heavy. 
Uh, he, he's, he's saying this, that the tongue can set the whole course of one's life on fire. It's a rudder directing a ship. It's a bit determining direction of a horse. It is a spark that can start a fire. It is small, but it is powerful. Words determine direction. Words determine direction. Words determine direction. They set the course of our life. They set the direction of our home. How many times have you ended up in an argument at your house because of what someone said or even the way in which they said it? Right? The way. Sometimes it's not even a word. It's a... <sighs> right? It's just a sound. Words determine the direction of your marriage. If you were always talking down to your spouse, if you were talking bad about them behind your back when you get together with your bros or when you get together with your sisters, if you were calling them names, if you were screaming at them, if you were making snide remarks under your breath, don't be surprised if the direction of your marriage turns toward your words and they become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you were always telling your kids how stupid they are or how unuseful they are, how useless that they are. Don't be surprised if they live into your words. If you are always talking about everything that is wrong with the world, don't be surprised if you can find more stuff that is wrong with the world. If you are always talking negativity, don't be surprised if you see the world negatively. Words determine direction. And James offers up no illusions that doing something about this this fire we all have in our mouths will be easy. Listen to what he says in the next verses. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Anybody go to the zoo this summer? Some zoo? Anybody go to SeaWorld or like go to like Disney and one of those dolphin things? Anybody do that? You ever been to one of those? Like it's crazy. Like they can get these dolphins to like do all kinds of stuff. James is like, yeah, that's easy. That's easy to tame. It's easy to go to the circus. It's easy to go to SeaWorld and see all the animals. That's easy. You can do that, but then listen to what he says about the tongue. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's hardball. He says it's going to be hard to do it. The tongue can be hard to tame, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And I think there's some work that all of us could probably do. So I want to talk a couple of things about how we might do better at this, how many we might tame our tongue. And we're going to find out at the end of this, this passage why it's so important that James wants us to do so. The first thing I want to say that I think how we could tame our tongues, how we could do better at this, how it could direct our lives better. So here's something I want to share with you. Sharing opinions is optional. Did, or were you aware of this? <laughs> you don't have to do it. You don't have to share your opinions. You do not have to share your opinions with your adult children. You don't, yeah, like, yeah. You, you don't have to share your opinions with your coworkers. You don't have to share your opinions with your neighbors. You don't have to do it. You will not die if you hold it in. 
And I know I talk about this a lot in our world. You know, I, I talk about this a lot. And people are like, man, you know, we live in a digital world. You do not have to share your opinions on social media. You do not have to share your opinions online. And it is so easy, isn't it? It is so easy to have a bad experience and like at corporate on Instagram or Twitter and like, I just want you to know this branch in Hoover, this branch in Vestavia Hills is the worst ever. You don't have to go on, you don't have a bad mechanic, you don't have to go on what's happening in Vestavia Hills and tell everybody not to go to that mechanic. You don't have to do that. You don't have to have a bad experience at a retail store. You don't have to share your opinions about politicians and the local high school football coach. You don't have to do it. Sharing opinions is optional. And this is why this is so important. Your opinions can and will change. Our opinions are just opinions. They are on limited knowledge. That 16-year-old that gave you awful service at the fast food restaurant, would your opinion change if you knew that her mama died two weeks ago and her daddy is an addict and he's abusive and he stayed up all night screaming at her? She got no sleep, but she has to go to work because she has to be responsible for help paying the bills. Would your attitude and your opinion change about that experience? Would your, would your opinion about the mechanic that seemed lousy and kind of missed something on your car and you had to pay extra, would your opinion of him change if you knew that his wife told him of 20 years the night before that she was leaving him, that she was in love with somebody else? Would your opinion change? Your, our opinions are they're on limited knowledge. We do not have to share our opinions. It, it, it's, we'd be wise to remember the words of Abe Lincoln. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. <laughs> How many times in the last few years have you read a post from someone and thought, you know, I thought they were kind of a fool, and that confirms it. <laughs> Has anybody ever thought that about you? We don't have to pontificate on our platforms. We can just share cat and dog pictures. Like, that's a decision. We can just share vacation memories. That's a decision. And then there's something else that's really, really important, and I didn't include it in this message, but this is so important because it is the precursor to this message because it is at the very first line of chapter 3 when James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And then he goes into this whole thing about words and tongues and language that we're using. And so this is the other thing that I think reason taming our tongue is so important. It's extra important for those in leadership. Words matter for everyone, but if you're a leader, words matter more. If you are a leader, words matter more. If you are a boss, if you are a parent, if you are a teacher, a pastor, a coach, a manager, if you are over people, Words matter more. All words carry weight. The words of a leader just weigh more. They just weigh more. And leaders, we need to be careful with words like, well, you just never. Are you always? Man, how much damage parents can do, leaders can do, bosses can do to use that kind of language. And I, I, I just firmly believe this. People 
do not leave jobs typically. Most people do not hate what they do. They leave people. They leave people. And most of the time, the people they are leaving is a boss. And what they are really leaving is the way their boss speaks to them. If you will be a boss, if you are over people, if you are in leadership, if you will be a boss who speaks encouragement, who speaks blessing, who speaks compassion, who has concern and care for their lives, I promise you, you will be a boss that will be hard to leave because those kind of bosses are hard to find. If you're a teacher, you will be their favorite teacher because those kind are hard to find. This can have so much impact either way, negatively or positively. When I was in elementary school and middle school, I was kind of the class clown. I didn't care too much about uh, school. I just wanted to make everybody laugh. And I, I just kind of did enough just to get by and just made just above average grades. And I will never forget in sixth grade, my teacher handed me my report card at, uh, report card at the end of one nine weeks. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Carter, there's no telling what you could accomplish if you would actually apply yourself. And it changed my life. And I thought, maybe I am capable of more. Because one teacher said one thing. And I want to tell you something. That teacher was in my hometown and taught at my school for one year. One year. And I am 45 years old and I was in sixth grade. And I remember standing in his front of his desk and him saying that to me like it was yesterday. And I decided... I'm going to apply myself and be the best that I can be. If you're a leader, words matter more. Then James kind of closes this out with uh, why this is so important, and it's the very heart of the issue. I love this, what he says these next verses. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. We speak the name. That's what we sang this morning, right? Jesus. We even had it like super big on the screen. And we all said, Jesus. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And I just love this because this is so simple and clear teaching from James. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. In other words, James says, Hey, you know how you go to church and you sing praise songs and worship songs to Jesus and then you say mean things to people? Yeah, you shouldn't do that. It's just that simple. This should not be. The issue that James is getting at is that our words reveal something about our hearts. Our words of praise to God are in vain if they are followed by words of condemnation for those who were made in his image. Our words give voice to our values. They give a voice to our values. They reveal what is really in our hearts. They cut right through what we claim to believe and what we really believe. They give a voice to what we really value. And James says the world the world does it one way. The world weaponizes words to hurt people. 
The world weaponizes words to draw dividing lines, to put this group over here and that group over there. But that's not the way we do it, brothers and sisters, James says. We do not measure our zeal for God by the way that we make enemies of others. We don't curse politicians and opponents. We don't speak ill of those that we disagree with or even those who do us wrong because we understand that our words give voice to our values. And what we value as children of God, as followers of Jesus, is the gospel. And at the very heart of our belief, at the very heart of this gospel message, is that we were opponents of God and he loved us anyway. At the very heart of this is that we were sinners and enemies of God and Jesus on the cross spoke, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. We were sinners. We were transgressors at the very heart of what we believe and God, instead of speaking condemnation, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world but to save it. He spoke love and grace over us. So we are bearers of this message to the world. And that's why our words matter so much that if we take seriously then that we are on the mission that God gave us through Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, that that is not my job, that is not the staff's job, that is every single person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus who is in this room and who is watching right now, it is all our job to be on that mission, then our words matter. We cannot reach a world we are constantly reprimanding. And we cannot have a conversation with a world that we want to curse. We just can't do it. It can't be that way. It shouldn't be that way, and it won't work. And something I'm learning is how important this is to the next generation. How important this is to the next generation because they want to know if we're for real. They want to know if it's authentic. And when they hear praise from God in one breath and curse of those made in his image in another, they know that we aren't really who we say we are. Let me put this a little more granular for you, okay? When they see us post on Sunday morning our church service stream and say, come watch church with me, and Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday see our curse of a politician, our criticism of a local restaurant, our criticism of the football coach, our criticism of somebody, our negativity about other people, here's what they think. They think you might can quote Genesis 1:27 that you believe all people were made in God's image, but you don't really believe it. And if you don't believe what Genesis 1 says about people, then why should I believe what you say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say about Jesus? That is what the next generation is asking. They're watching. And most importantly, they're listening to what we say if it aligns with what we say we believe. And then James closes it up with this and he says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
more metaphors. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Can you continue to speak the way you do, James says, about others and think your praise of God is authentic? Essentially, what James is saying is what, is it, what comes out of me is revealing what's in me. What comes out of you is revealing what's in you. And you can't have both praise and cursing. Words determine direction. So here's a question I want to ask you. What direction are your words determining for you? Are they determining a future that is negative, that is cursing, that is critical, that is hateful, that is hurtful, that is toxic, because that's all that comes out of your mouth, or are they, are they, they carving a path that is hopeful and hope-filled, that has the joy of the Lord, that is dripping with grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. What direction are your words pointing you? Because you want to know what your future looks like? It's easy. You've got a rudder for the ship of your life right in your mouth. You want to know what your future looks like? Listen to your words. Now the good news is that God didn't just give us this standard and words like James speaks and say, hey, Good luck with that. The good news is that we all read that passage and every single one of us has called somebody a name. And every single one of us has spoke some toxicity into our family, has spoke some negative. Every single one of us has said hurtful and harmful things. Every single one of us falls short of the kind of words that, that pave and, and carve a path that we want to be on. Every single one of us is imperfect in this area. So the great thing that Jesus offers us is that the gospel message isn't just a list of rules that seem impossible to live up to. The gospel message is about a person. And Jesus said, I want you to, he told his disciples, he said, I want you to remember this. He said, I'm going to offer my body to you. He offered them bread before the night before he was killed. And he said, every time you eat this bread, I want you to remember something. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Carter, you don't know what I said last week to my spouse. It's covered. You don't know how bad I talked to my kids this morning. It's covered. You don't know the text I sent to my coworker about our boss. It's covered. You don't know the four-letter words I've been using. It's covered. You don't know the negativity I've been using. It's covered. I posted some really nasty things about a politician. It's covered. It's covered. It's covered. It's covered. It's covered. It's covered by the blood of the new covenant. This morning... Your mouth is clean. You come to the table and you receive the cleansing.
and what you do with it when you leave here, well, that's up to you. But the cleansing and the forgiveness was up to Jesus. It's already done. Heavenly Father, would you pray with me? Thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the blood shed for us, the body broken for us. And Lord, as we do this, we remember. We remember that we're imperfect and you're not, that we're dirty and you're clean, that we're impure and you're pure, that we're messed up, but you make us whole. So Lord, I would pray for every person in this room, those that feel like they they are too messed up to come to this table. Help them to know that it is a table, especially for messed up people, because it's all of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.